Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky, Parker's name is Parker, and this week we are talking about this perilous game show, first hosted by Art Fleming. What is Jeopardy? That's right. That's what we're going to find out today. Um, I guess um, we we do have uh, some some news, some dun 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 what's pop and stuff that we're going to get to. Uh, but just just to sort of like ease us in a little bit, I'd like to know a little bit about your uh, history with Jeopardy. Yeah, I started watching Jeopardy with my parents when I was uh, younger, and I was sort of like, oh, one of those things that was on that I didn't really care about. And then in college, it somehow just became a personality trait. I think when I sort of started uh, becoming the, I really started manifesting being the old woman that I am at heart, you know, with the with the crocheting and the tea and the novels. Of course. Of course. Um, and, it, you know, just it was part of the personality. It was Jeopardy. And I love, uh, I love a game show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that um, that resonates for me for sure. I feel like I must have been a literal infant the first time I saw Jeopardy. It was just sort of part of the environment of especially my mom's side of the family. I think it, it was sort of like there was a time where we would watch Jeopardy, you know, not every night, but uh, very regularly. And um, that was when we didn't have cable. And then once we got cable, it was like, okay, now there's a lot of stuff to watch. But uh <laughs> Uh, I, I think my, my great grandmother probably still watches it every night. So that's, you know, it, it, it's something that there's definitely a, a fan base for in my family. And I was like, you know, really into just like trivia when I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I just, uh, read lots of books and I took, you know, I took the like test to try to get on a couple times. It's, you know, it, it, was, it was really part of my, uh, <laughs> it was really like, I don't know. It was like the first, the, the the first like inkling of a personality trait that I had, I guess. <laughs> so um, yeah, we're going to talk about uh, where the show is now. I've prepared some history that we're going to get into before we do that. But first, our breaking news segment: dun 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 dun. dun what's pulping? A uh, couple things I wanted to touch on real quick. First of all, there's something I just learned about a few moments ago that. Um, uh, Smash Mouth has released a new remix of All Star by Owl City. So, the, you know, with, with production by Owl City, those classic Smash Mouth vocals, uh, just something I wanted to shout out real quick because it is actually really fun. And, uh, and yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, in terms of news though, something that happened today is that Taylor Swift gave a commencement address at NYU. And uh, I don't have too many thoughts on it, but there was a part during her speech where she talked about having been canceled and her and her career almost ending. And she says that she learned a lot about different types of wine during that time. And when I saw that she said that, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, like, really, you know, I thought about it some more and I looked into it and it was it was during this. I, I, I think what she's referring to, I, I really don't know, but, but this the. Um, the, the the incident with the Kanye lyric where she said she hadn't been uh, consulted about it and then Kanye released the footage of, of him like consulting her about it uh, and that was 
the it, I think it just says something about the state of like pop culture and celebrity today that Taylor Swift feels that her career was almost destroyed by that incident. You know, mm-hmm. like like just I don't know. At the, <laughs> at the end of the day, I think there's like like everyone in Hollywood seems to sort of have this. Uh, this fear of being canceled and i think that's a a great sort of microcosm of like you know sometimes it's not you're you're blowing it out of proportion i mean at the time she said that uh she she compared it to a death threat the 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 notion of being canceled so yeah just wild stuff indeed and the other thing I just wanted to get some thoughts on on air before we move forward is the new Kendrick Lamar album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, which everyone has, uh, which, you know, every publication dropped their, uh, dropped their five-star review right at the stroke of midnight because it's, because it's a Kendrick album. Uh, I listened to it, uh, right when it came out for the first time and, uh, you know, late at night was probably not in the headspace to really appreciate it. I was, you know, looking at things my friends were saying that were unfavorable and some of the reviews and I was just, you know, maybe not in the headspace to really appreciate it. But after a few days and after having, you know, watched commentaries, talked to friends, talked to family about it, I just have issues with it. <laughs> You know, I think it is, even though it like takes the form of a therapy session, I think it actually comes around to being Kendrick's least personal album because I think he's trying to be even more personal, but he's like already kind of a radically vulnerable artist and in an era where like the style is to be radically vulnerable. And so in trying to go even deeper, I think he often ends up talking about other people's problems and things that are kind of out of his depth. And, you know, they, in, on songs like, uh, Auntie Diaries and Mother Sober, he's um, talking about, I mean, transphobia and sexual assault, respectively, things that haven't personally affected him, and his only sort of lens for talking about them is imagining himself as like a as like a savior for, for victims, even though there's a song on here called Savior where he says he's not a savior. Um, and yeah, I don't know, there's, there's a song We Cry Together, which is clearly sort of taking inspiration from some of the early Eminem tracks. And I just think that like, it it feels very impersonal to me. It feels more like, it it feels, it's in the form of an argument between two people, but it feels like just Kendrick's rhetoric through the voices of two people. And there's a line very early on in the album where Kendrick says, talks about having a therapist now. And he says, I finally have someone to share my theories with. And I think that really speaks to like, how the album feels overall uh, to me. I There are things I really like about it, and I don't want to be too harsh just right out of the gate, but uh, it definitely, I definitely have some issues with it, as I said. So those are my thoughts. And now let's talk about Jeopardy. Those are great thoughts. I love to hear them. So the history of Jeopardy is uh, really the history of quiz shows themselves the 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 quiz show was really a very early format that was explored in tv it kind of has this very you know deeply rooted history with tv as a medium the first radio quiz show and the first tv quiz show both came out in 1938 so there's a there's a very long history to them the first uh, tv quiz show was a uk show called spelling bee that was a spelling bee and the first radio show was uh, Information Please, which was on NBC Radio, and uh, callers would submit questions for a panel of experts to try and answer, and if they couldn't answer it, the callers got money. And then um, the the first, like, 
you know, the first the first hit quiz show was the radio show Doctor IQ, but the one that really solidified the like TV quiz show landscape was Truth or Consequences, which uh, you know, if if you look at like Looney Tunes from that era or like any any you know sort of comedic thing from that time, you'll see a lot of riffs on Truth or Consequences, but basically just the whole that that whole format of like question and answer and then something happens if you get it wrong and you win a prize if you get it right like a lot of the the format was sort of solidified there um it aired it was originally on radio it had its first experimental tv broadcast in 1941 then it was a regular tv broadcast from 1950 until 1978 um and as tv became really popular throughout the 50s there were like a ton of game shows there 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 was this uh divide that was made between like daytime game shows and nighttime and primetime game shows where daytime game shows were a little lighter a little more conversational and the primetime game shows had like high stakes big money uh on the table you know more more intensive programs very cool i had no idea about that uh beginning history and radio although i guess that makes sense yeah i i it, it was interesting to me that idea that they sort of happened concurrently the 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 radio and tv elements you know it's i I wouldn't have expected it to go that way so in 1956 there was a game show called 21 that premiered on nbc and uh the premise was that two contestants would be in isolated booths they would take turns answering questions their goal is to get 21 points and the questions had point values from 1 to 11 and the first episode of the show was described as a dismal failure (laughs) Neither contestant was able to answer most of the questions. There wasn't enough, like, pre-show vetting and just, you know, just went on too long. It wasn't interesting. Uh, and the and Jared All, who was the show's sponsor, they demanded, like, sweeping changes. That, like, what happened there doesn't happen again. So they started fixing it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> The, the contestants were sort of went through an audition process and they were, you know, instructed on like they, they were they were instructed very precisely on what to say to each question, what to wear, you know, how, how to like move like it was a, a completely choreographed thing. Wow. So one of the first major quiz shows was just like a complete a complete sham, a complete not even a quiz show, just just art. <laughs> I mean, that's just for, that's, you know, it, it gets worse. Oh, boy. Okay. In 1957, there was a contestant on 21 named Charles Van Doren who had this massive winning streak. Uh, months long, he wins He wins the modern equivalent of a million dollars over the course of his uh, run here. And he becomes like a, inter- a national sensation. He's on the cover of Time magazine. He has a regular guest spot on the Today Show. He, uh, he, like, his streak causes 21 to outperform I Love Lucy in the ratings. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) And meanwhile, uh, there was this guy, Herbert Stemple, who was the reigning champion who Van Doren beat uh, in this first episode. And he tries to go to the media and blow the whistle that uh, the game is rigged. He was told to throw it. And, uh, you know, that the, the Charles Van Doren's victory was completely fixed. Uh, and due to a lack of evidence, it was, it was not picked up at the time. Just sort of, uh, lie dormant for a while. He tried to get the FBI to investigate. It just, you know, nothing really picked up at first. And then, in the summer of 1958, uh, a scandal spreads about another primetime game show, Dotto, being fake. <laughs> and oh that's my sort gosh. of a, 
yeah, this is sort of a it's sort of a connect the dots element to this show. It's like another another quiz show, but just you know, they throw some other element in there. And, uh, and what happened there is like a standby contestant found a notebook that belonged to like the reigning champion, and it had all the answers in it. So he like got that, brought it to the station. CBS investigates, and they verify that the whole thing is fixed. Wow. So after this, the twenty one story starts to pick up steam. New York conveys a grand jury in the autumn of 1958 to look into game show fixing, and it turns out they're, like, all fixed. (laughs) 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 Just just all of them? Pretty much, like... Wow. Here, here are the shows that got canceled uh, in the wake of this thing. So, 21 Dotto, the $64,000 question, the $64,000 challenge for love or money, top dollar, the big payoff, and name that tune. Now, that that is that is eight shows in the primetime slots on the big three networks. So, yeah, basically, basically all the game shows were rigged. All the primetime ones, I should say. The daytime shows were, were fine because they, they were low stakes. They didn't really care. That, I mean, I guess I, I knew that today there were so many. There was like a, there was like a whole like gaming commission that I know there's gaming commissions a different thing. There's a whole like group of people that oversees TV game shows, and I guess I I just assumed that that had always been a thing, but clearly it wasn't. Clearly it had to be created because of some reason, and that, I guess that must have been it. Yeah, the FCC set some uh, very strict rules, and now uh, game shows like have to like really closely monitor to make sure no one's cheating and that's why when someone successfully cheats at a game show it becomes a huge story right 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 so that is kind of the end of primetime quiz shows uh for that time there there's like nothing for a couple years and then in 1963 they try the show called 100 grand it airs for three weeks and uh you know complete bomb never gives out the top prize and then in 1964, uh, a fellow named Merv Griffin uh, has a new idea. He and his wife are sort of discussing the notion of like flipping around the question and answer show to create an answer and question show. Mm-hmm. And he pitches that to NBC under the name What's the Question? They like the idea a lot. Uh, network executive Ed Vane was skeptical about it, and he said, quote, it doesn't have enough jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I know what they did to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they pretty much just changed the name. <laughs> Doesn't really answer the complaint, I feel like. <laughs> I feel like that's the that's the perfect example of just like sweeping the problem under the rug. It's like here's the rug. Yeah. It's the name and we're just going to remove the issue. Yeah, but my my understanding is that that's how it is with like studio notes a lot is you'll just like change something completely inconsequential and they'll be like, now it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I I mean, yeah, it's also worth pointing out that the answer in question thing didn't actually, like that wasn't really an original idea. The format had been done in CBS television quiz, which also aired, I think started in 1941, the same year that, uh, that, that like the, that like the, you know, first TV quiz shows aired. So Yeah. But um, it, it, it hadn't been, like, paid, you know, it had been lost to history, kind of. Gotcha. Yeah, I can see how that, yeah. So Jeopardy! began airing in March of 1964, hosted by Art Fleming. Uh, it was originally a daytime show, airing in a noon time slot, and that made it popular among college students and professionals. Uh, college students would sort of just just see it during the day. Professionals would be out at lunch, and they would and they would uh, you know watch it on TV, whatever. 
So it, you know, picked up a crowd there, and it aired consistently from 1964 to 1973. That's when NBC VP Lynn Bolin started moving it around in an attempt to capture more young adult women. And um, people stuck around for some of the time slot shifts, but, you know, they did a few too many, and, <laughs> and so they just started to lose viewership. Its ratings sunk right in time with the 1974 recession, and so it was canceled. And then that's, yeah, that's the end of the show. That's the history that of Jeopardy the, right there. And nobody's the ever history. seen it since. It's all just reruns. And, you know, well, hey, it's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been so... <laughs> <laughs> Love to talk about Art Fleming and... <laughs> and Herb Griffin. And then how Jeopardy just ended right there. We were all very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the little the, the the little sliver of light that came out of this cancellation is that Merv Griffin still had a year left in his contract with NBC. Ah, so they were obligated to pick up another game show from him, and he presented them with uh, Wheel of Fortune. Hey, this guy was on a roll. Like this guy really knew what he was talking about when it came to, or when it would come to, long running TV game shows. It's true. And I mean, I looked into his career a little bit for this, and it's like he also, 20 years prior, had like a number one billboard hit. Like, he, like he really lived 20 lives in his career. Truly. So, uh, also, Merv Griffin secured the rights to produce episodes of Jeopardy! for syndication after NBC canceled it. So these episodes were produced from 1974 to 75, also hosted by Art Fleming. And, uh, yeah, basically they just did that for a year and, uh, didn't pick up a lot of steam. A couple years later, NBC tries again. The all-new Jeopardy! is the name of that show. It's got a few, like, rule changes. Um, and that's 1978. It, uh, took the place of, uh, the short-lived soap opera for Richard for Poorer, and it was intended to compete with The Price is Right, which was, you know, very successful at this time. Right. And that did not work. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I feel like the people who watch The Price is Right also watch Jeopardy. I feel like they just, right. they just joined the viewership there. <laughs> exactly. But partially due to the success of Jeopardy in its original run and, you know, this, some of the other shows at that time, game shows started to develop more of a positive reputation. Uh, and in the late 70s, we start to see more of these uh, primetime game shows start to get picked up. The big one is Family Feud. And then in 1983, Wheel of Fortune moves to primetime. Oh. This is where, this is where the wheel starts spinning. Uh, Literally. It, it was, yeah, it was a massive hit. Surpassed Family Feud within a year of its release. It eventually hit a peak of 40 million nightly viewers. Wow. <laughs> That's a big number for a... I feel like a show that doesn't necessarily do a lot. I don't for know. Wheel I like Wheel of Fortune. Fortune. Yeah. <laughs> fun to be had with Wheel of Fortune. Whenever I'm, like, playing the video game or whatever, I always just, like, try to guess right right away. And whenever it's my turn, I'll just try to guess with whatever is there. (laughs) I feel like with Wheel of Fortune, like, you know, if there's something, at least today, like, if there's something that you want to see that's on at, like, 6, and then Wheel of Fortune is on at 6.30, and there's something you want to see that's on at 7, you'll just end up watching Wheel of Fortune because it's always bookended by two good things. Exactly. That's what I feel the consensus of it today is at least for you know people who aren't in yeah. their 80s yeah and there's always been an element to quiz shows of like you watch at home and you're frustrated because you know and they don't know but i feel <laughs> like that is the wheel of fortune really ratchets that up <laughs> it 
really does. <laughs> there was, uh, I don't remember what it was, but there was that, uh, that, that clip that went viral a couple of months ago of like, of like a really clear answer that no one was able to get. There was like two letters left. <laughs> Capitalizing on Wheel of Fortune's success, Merv Griffin uh, revives Jeopardy once again. Uh, they make some changes to the show at this point. They um, implemented... Ah, God, I'm trying to remember what was different. They had... Uh, I, I think... Hmm, more. I, I think Double Jeopardy is an invention at this point, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. There there are, like... There, there were some, some changes made. I think the big one was that... Uh, Rather than everyone winning however much they won, they just give consolation prize to two and three, and only the mm-hmm. first place gets what they won. So that yeah, was, I know that's a newer invention. Yeah, and that was something that Art Fleming uh, was not on board with, so he did not come back to host. And uh, Merv Griffin went around asking for advice. Went to Lucille Ball, who uh, go- traces all the way back to twenty one in this story, and mm-hmm. asking. And Lucille Ball suggested uh, Alex Trebek. It was the the face of Jeopardy that we all know and love. Absolutely. The Jeopardy revival initially found success in Cleveland and Detroit, where it aired in like a primetime seven to eight slot. And so it, it like picked up steam there and some distributors were just sort of shoving it <laughs> wherever they had space, but it started to, you know, get the ball rolling from that. In New York, for instance, it aired at 1.30 a.m. after Letterman. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they got a lot of viewers from people just falling asleep with Letterman on and then not noticing until a little bit later. Yeah, I'm sure the ratings were, <laughs> were pretty good. That all changed in 1984 when ABC announced that it was canceling the long-running soap opera The Edge of Night. So uh, at, at that point, um, NBC had had Jeopardy. ABC is able to snatch it up in New York. They put it in the 4 p.m. time slot. And at this time, it also gets 4 p.m. in Los Angeles, and it doesn't do well in L.A., but, like, the 4 p.m. slot in New York kind of works for it for some reason. I don't know. And then in 1986, ABC picks up Oprah in New York, and they move that into the 4 o'clock slot. Mm. But at this point, Jeopardy! had picked up a lot of steam, so they were like, we got to move everything around. They moved, like, the news programs out of the 7 o'clock slot so that they could put Jeopardy! Wow! in there. Moving the news for Jeopardy! I mean, hey, I'd always rather watch Jeopardy! than the news, but that's just me. Right. And, uh, yeah, so they put it into 7. That is when, around when Wheel of Fortune was, around when Hollywood Squares was. That was, like, the good game show slot. So they put it there, and that sort of caused a trend for networks around the country. News at 6.30 became commonplace. So did Jeopardy! at 7. <laughs> just sort of, you know, spread like wildfire. And um, it's aired consistently in syndication ever since. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's like a really storied history. I feel like a lot of, I don't know, I guess my impression is that a lot of game, game shows just sort of like start one way and then continue to be more or less the exact same version of themselves for mm-hmm. a long time with like minor rule changes here and there. But I feel like Jeopardy! has really gone through a lot of like cancellations and rebrands and um, has a really, I don't know, a storied history that just for me just adds to the appeal. Yeah, I, I think the fact that it has that 60 year history that it sort of like came back before game shows had come back mm-hmm. is, is like a big part of that. And um, 
Yeah, I mean, once once they like get into this rhythm where they have Trebek, they have the time slot. It's like they, you know, they're looking for, and I think I'll, I'll, you know, any legacy game show is looking for that kind of comfort spot where you can just mm-hmm. stay there forever. Uh, and Jeopardy definitely found it until uh, recently. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely a, a wild history. I guess uh, the reason that Jeopardy is a topic to be covered on this show is because uh, after being exactly the same for close to 40 years, suddenly (laughs) Jeopardy has gotten pretty wild. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, after after Alex Trebek passed away, it became... I mean, I think that was one of the things that sort of brought it back into... The public eye. I think there. I think there's a couple of things that brought it into the public eye um, more than it just being the comfort show, like you were talking about. Is sort of instead of being you know the thing that you consistently watch, maybe just because to have something to have on in the background, maybe like game shows. It's on at seven. It became more of an event. Is because you started getting these long running winners starting in the early two thousands, mm. and then again much more recently when Alex Trebek um, passed away. Yeah, you would always see uh, spikes in the in the ratings whenever someone uh, was 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 going on these winning streaks, and that's true of a lot of game shows. But I feel like it's especially prevalent on on Jeopardy, and um, I think part of that is sort of the the mythos that's built around like the Jeopardy contestant. There's sort mm-hmm. of a you know an an air of credulity around that that other game show contestants don't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, and I think the reason for that is that, you know, Jeopardy always does well, but it's the idea for this whole time has been that, like, you don't really need to pay attention to it because it's always going to be there. Right. And uh, with uh, Alex Trebek's death, uh, there was a lot of, I I mean, because of all the love for, for Trebek, there was instantly a lot of scrutiny about, like, who are they going to pick? Um, I have uh, the 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 list of the 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 guest hosts that uh, that they had for the the previous season. There were you know at, at the start there were these online movements around Ken Jennings, around Lavar Burton. Uh, Trebek himself had named Laura Coates at one point, and that was someone that people were were whirling around. The guest hosts were. Ken Jennings, Mike Richards, Katie Couric, Bill Whitaker, Savannah Guthrie, Sanjay Gupta, Anderson Cooper, Aaron Rodgers, Mehmet Oz, Maya Bialik, George Stephanopoulos, Robin Roberts, LeVar Burton, David Faber, Buzzy Cohn, and Joe Buck. That, I remember when we were starting to get the list of um, guest hosts out. And some of the people, I was like, okay, this makes sense. These people have presented other things. You know, maybe they're, you know, they're going for the whole comforting news anchor that we're familiar with with somebody like Katie Couric and then some of these people and obviously some of them were associated with Jeopardy you know the 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 Ken Jennings the Buzzy Co and that sort of all made sense and then some of these people just came out of nowhere I remember when Aaron Rodgers was announced I was like who is this football guy like there's no way (laughs) that he's gonna be any good at any of this he's just he's just a a sportsman from some sport that I don't even care about and then I remember being shocked when Aaron Rodgers did a great job. And then, you know, obviously Aaron Rodgers was embroiled in other scandals and I'm glad that he is not the host of Jeopardy, but I remember being shocked that, yeah, actually he was pretty good. He was funny. He had some personality. And my family always 
loves it when a contestant has a little bit of personality and has a, something a little bit more than just, oh, they're good at answering the questions. You know, they have a, you know, a joke or something that sets them apart. And, and some of these hosts had that and some of the hosts really did not. Yeah, I, I was going to, I was going to um, uh, ask for your takes on that. So I'm glad you jumped right in. I had definitely been on that LeVar Burton train. And mm-hmm. I do think that in a way, he might have been the only status, the like fully satisfying person to put in that role. But I also was really taken aback by how well Aaron Rodgers did. <laughs> <laughs> shocked by that i remember just you know i'm on social media reading other people's takes and reading you know the, the think pieces and the and the articles oh you know what a date day three of you know katie couric hosting jeopardy breakdown all that and i think there was a, a sense from especially the people of of my age group and my generation who are watching this show because it was something we were raised on and fell in love with that oh some of these people are surprisingly good you know the, the aaron Rodgers is surprisingly good and then Coupled with that is the people who we knew were going to be terrible and who then were terrible. I'm thinking Dr. Oz. Uh, I'm fairly confident that nobody wanted him to host Jeopardy. Uh, he did not do a good job. I do not like Dr. Oz. Uh, I am glad that we do not have him uh, hosting Jeopardy. Yes. Although if we did, he might not have entered politics. So who's to say? Oh. Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> they... If, if you look at the, 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 the crowd of people here, I think part of it is that there is sort of like a different kind of fame that exists today. And, you know, in, in, the, in the 70s and 80s, someone who was a, a TV presenter, you know, you could... I mean, part of it is the, the, the reputation that Jeopardy has earned over all these years where, you know, Alex Trebek was just like something that, I mean, Lucille Ball suggested, but not someone who anyone knew about at that point. And uh, with this one, it was really like, it sort of had to be someone who people were already comfortable with because of, because of how that comfort is such a core part of Jeopardy, but also someone who's famous enough to have that is bound to be embroiled in something almost mm-hmm. there's, there's like very few you know uh cases for that because we just know what everyone thinks about everything <laughs> today which is why i think they did such a good job um when they picked news anchors because it's somebody who mm. we consider to be more often than not it's someone who we consider to be um not biased um, they mm-hmm. sort of have a, that sort of journalistic idea of, oh, I'm not going to come in here with a political agenda or I'm not going to come in here with um, a bunch of thoughts about things. I'm going to come in here and give you the facts in a straightforward and clear manner, which is exactly what we're looking for in a host of Jeopardy, someone who's going to literally read the answers, give you the information. And mm-hmm. I think that's why they lent so heavily on the uh you know, host, news anchor type of person. Do I think any of those people actually did enough, a good enough of a job to be that Jeopardy host? No, I'm, I'm actually reasonably happy with having Ken Jennings as our more permanent host. I think whether or not he may be embroiled in various things and, and right. maybe celebrities shouldn't be allowed to have Twitter, but uh, <laughs> for one reason or another. Um, but I think that he is... Like you said, we have a, of everyone they brought in, that we have, there was a very limited number of people that actually would have been like, quote unquote, accepted as the deputy host. Yeah. So in August of 2021, it was announced that Mike Richards would take over as well. (laughs) (laughs) The perfect example. (laughs) 
that is the thing with this whole process is that there was such heavy scrutiny on it and that it turned out to be a sham. <laughs> there was so so many people were getting so invested and I was, I was reading, you know, ordered lists of, of everybody's favorites and it was like people were, yeah. were there were peti- I remember the LeVar Burton petition online then when it was finally announced that they were going to give LeVar Burton a shot. It was like, oh my gosh, we have a say. Like, we can do it. We get to pick the host of Jeopardy. And then it was Mike Richards. <laughs> There's also, like, just, you know, I mean, LeVar Burton and Aaron Rodgers are two examples of people who are very public about, like, being really passionate about the opportunity to do it. And, like, mm-hmm. putting so much investment into, like, their performance as host. And then <laughs> the the brand new executive producer, the, the executive producer from the past year of Jeopardy! <laughs> <laughs> sort of snatches it and um i i mean to put it out there there was a lot of you, the ringer did a whole expose about like comments he had made on podcasts you know sexist and ableist and xenophobic and there was a lot of scrutiny around how he had tried to be the host of the price is right also and it seems like his only incentive was to host a game show <laughs> <laughs> one man with one mission host a game show <laughs> He did for like uh, two weeks total. <laughs> yeah, I think I think he was guest host for like a couple of weeks, and then he was like officially host for like one week. One fateful week, because because by, <laughs> by the time uh, by the time his episodes aired, it was already like like they you know he he I I think what happened was like it was like August twentieth. I, I don't remember the exact dates, but it was like. The 20th, he has his last episode as host, and he's like, I'm stepping down as host. 11 days later, he is also let go of as executive producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just sort of a, sort of a, you know, a rolling moment just pushed him right, pushed him right out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after that, in sort of a, Sort of, I mean, the announcement was that Mike Richards would be the host and Maya Bialik would do, like, the specials and spinoffs. And so there was sort of, like, a like a, a last-ditch, you know, stitching together of, of parts where it was like, you know, Ken Jennings is a friend. <laughs> we, we friend of the show, number. Ken Jennings. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just throw him in there. And uh, I have not uh, kept up, and it's very hard to find, uh, you know, substantial clips of Jeopardy! online, so Mm -hmm. I uh, have only seen bits and pieces of Jennings and and Bialik as hosts. I think there's a flawed logic in picking great Jeopardy! contestants to be Jeopardy! hosts. Yeah, I hear that. Here's okay, he, here's why I like Ken Jennings as a host, if I may, if I may make my case. Sure. I think he adds a dash of joviality to the role because Trebek was famous for being, you know, sort of concise and a little bit stoic. You know, he wasn't, especially in, you know, later years and later seasons, he was less likely to like do a bit or make a joke. And do I think that Jeopardy should be a comedic show? No, not necessarily. But I also don't think that it should necessarily just be, you know, very serious only facts all the time. And I would say Jennings makes 
about a joke a show. Like every episode he'll put in like one funny bit or he'll make a comment or a crack and about 50% of the time that joke is about his run on Jeopardy. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe you know, two or three times a week, he mentioned something about his run on Jeopardy. Like the answer will be something that he answered or, you know, a question that got him when he was on Jeopardy or when he's talking to the contestants, he'll say, well, I never said that, you know, in my run. And I think it is nice to tie Jeopardy as a whole together because at this point we're almost a decade out from Ken's big, what was it, 76 game run. Um, and so it is nice to sort of nod back to earlier seasons and earlier eras of Jeopardy with that, um, A, with that joviality that Alex, you see, yeah, you see like the, like, you know, the, or maybe I see the compilations of like Alex Trebek's bits and there certainly were more of them, you know, in the, in his earlier years. <laughs> yeah and i guess I, I i see the idea of like progression there i i see how it like you know how the ken narrative culminates in him becoming host mm -hmm. and how you know he can sort of take that a similar journey to the journey that that trebek took to being sort of a, a comforting thing i also think there's a certain astuteness in picking someone of the podcasting space to host <laughs> jeopardy yeah yeah, there's just a similar, uh, like, we were talking about that sense of comfort, and I feel like that is is one thing that Jeopardy and podcasting often have in common, to say nothing, to say nothing of, like, the audience overlap that definitely exists. So I think, frankly, looking at the guest hosts, I think they would have been wise to include a few more podcasters. Yeah, I think definitely. I mean, it, that wasn't even something that I considered, you know, originally when I was thinking about who would be a good host, but you do, now I'm thinking of just, like, the sort of like early podcasts when it was more just like oh what a radio show that we just sort of reserve and you get this sort of like this american life type people mm -hmm. not that i think ira goss would be a good radio host <laughs> or a good uh a good jeopardy host but mm -hmm. the you know contributing i think actually now that i'm thinking about it shows like radio lab and this american life have a lot of similarities to jeopardy where you have your sort of main host or hosts who are there to give you the facts and are there to sort of bounce off the contestants and you also have these sort of contributing producers and contributing writers like the folks that they, they talk about you know they'll have the special episode with the atlanta news crew or they have their team of three or four people that will go present clues on location um so yeah i think you're totally right there's definitely room for like radio podcast overlap there with jeopardy I, I would just say that, like, to your point about comedy, I, I definitely, you know, appreciate the, like, the sense of humor and the spirit, sort of the, the, the uh, youthfulness being, being brought into the show. But uh, I feel like when you look at Trebek's bits and the core of them, there is like a, there, there's a, there's a comedic uh, play at the root of it, but it's sort of like high status, low status with the contestants. Mm-hmm. And that is something that, you know, people feel all kinds of different ways about. I saw something from a couple of days ago where uh, the the answer was Panic at the Disco. A contestant said the Jonas Brothers and mine Bialik left and she said no. And some people were upset about that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I also laughed when the contestant said the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> So I don't know. I just, but I just think that um, I talked about that image of the Jeopardy contestant, and I think it is, you know, very like 
uh, just just a very geeky kind of you know uh, a heartfelt academic sort of sort of, sort of impression that that people have of Jeopardy contestants at the very least, and that we definitely see in a lot of the contestants that go on the show. And I feel like the balance that Trebek brought was of being sort of like a guy who might wear like a smoking jacket. <laughs> 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 you know, there, there, there's a certain uh, suave element to Trebek that I think uh, is part of the, orig- the like the original comic dynamic of the show. And even as he got older, I think he was able to maintain that sort of dynamic with the contestants. Um, not that that's the only way to do it, but I do think that... Uh, I, I I don't know. I watched some of these clips, and I feel like the the line, the the difference between the hosts and the contestants being broken down is mm-hmm. uh, a, a reformation at the very least. I liked your uh, I like what you were saying about the the balance between the host and the contestant. Uh, and what came to mind for me is sort of Trebek was the academic, and the contestants were the geek. So you have this sort of mm. like, ah, oh, yes, I am worldly and I know these answers because I have experienced things. And you know these <laughs> answers because you sat by yourself and read a book. And sort of that <laughs> being that being very serious, but also being sort of comedic in and of itself with like a, I can't believe you didn't know this answer. Don't you know that, you know, here's the reason you should know the answer, not just reading it in a book. And I think that that was a special level of comedy, whereas you have someone like, you know, Ken, who is very much the geek and not the academic and knows the answers for the same reason that can the contestants mm-hmm. know the answers because he was the contestant. And I think you have the same thing with um, Maya, even though she is quite literally an academic, has a PhD. Yeah, and I, I, I could see Maya Bialik uh, moving in that direction, again, mm-hmm. because of that background and because of, you know, some of the other things that, that she's done outside of Jeopardy. But yeah, I mean, I you know, that, that, that thing I was saying earlier about how I think there was an idea some of the guest hosts that they had were like either people who were older or people who had very established sort of pop culture um images and i think that might have been the downfall for a lot of those news people you know people already have a strong association for what katie couric or anderson cooper uh is or lavar burton even i think i again i do in retrospect kind of think it should have been LeVar Burton but I I think the um y- you know he is an older guy and is someone who has been in pop culture in in a number of forms for uh, like 50 years yeah. so I think there was an idea in selecting maybe this was part of the pitch for Mike Richards too but I think there was an idea in selecting uh Jennings and Bialik where like they are People who are not unknown, and especially to Jeopardy fans, are definitely known, but uh, could could sort of grow into a different role as hosts. Definitely. And I would say that there's even been a massive difference just in the past couple of months with, Mm. I think, especially Bialik's hosting. Um, And she's really gotten a lot more comfortable. You could really tell how nervous she was first couple of weeks, especially during the guest hosting, and then after... She was like she wasn't a, a guest host anymore, but was a more doing the 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 specials and whatnot, and really got more comfortable over time, and has has settled really nicely into it um, mm-hmm. in a different way. That's been nice to see as a viewer uh, because it did feel it felt rocky, it, especially after Trebek passed. It felt I mean only I, after Trebek passed, it felt unsure and like this comfort. Um, was going to be gone or changed or different. And so it's been 
it's been heartening to see mm-hmm. the hosts sort of settle down into it and go, no, don't worry. It's still here. We're going to put our, we're going to put our own stamp on it. But this thing that is comforting for you, you know, was tied so heavily to, Al- to Alec Trebek, but is also here in a different way. Yeah. And I guess there's an element where, you know, talking about them both having, you know, had successful runs as contestants. I think that, uh, the idea of it's sort of, you know, post Trebek, it stays in the family. It becomes the, the, some, the contestant show in a way. I think that there's a, a, a certain beauty in that. And, um, I do kind of wonder about this, the like trading off that they're doing right now with, with, with Jennings and Bialik. I'm like, how long can they keep that up? I, I will be honest. I don't totally understand how they're digging it up because my understanding was that Bialik was just going to be taking the specials and the tournaments and the contests and sort of, you know, when they, the professor's tournament, the college tournament, um, tournament of champions and that Jennings would be doing sort of everything else, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, so I'm, I, I will admit to not completely understanding how they're dividing it up. Yeah, I, my assessment was that with Mike Richards, it was going to be my Bialik hosting the like specials, and now they're sort of trading off in a way. I mean, in the most recent Jenningen episode, he said that it was just going to be my Bialik hosting for a couple months. Um, and I, you know, just looking through just the the archive of the past season, it's like you know they are trading off mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm just not totally sure about the logic there because again I, I, I think that all game shows are really seeking uh, a comfort with their audience and I feel like the idea of, of you know maybe they come together in some form you know in the long run but the, the this idea of constantly switching back and forth between the two of them it, it, it seems like it's uh, you know upsetting the balance yeah, I agree. And the other the other way that I feel like the switching off becomes especially disruptive is when you have these long running contestants, uh, which is something that has definitely been on show, especially this season. Um, if I can talk about the most recent, like quote unquote, super champ that ha- that uh, happened, Matea, um, she had I think it was Ken as her like main host for most of her run, and I might be getting this backwards, and then. Um, Mayim came in and was like, oh, I'm so excited to to get to work or to get to see you or to get to work with you or something like that. Either they said it on the show or I heard something about it, you know, offline. And I was like, oh, that might be disruptive for a contestant on a streak to all of a sudden have to switch hosts, whereas it might not be disruptive. It might sort of give an advantage to the newcomer that would put the long running champion at a disadvantage. And I don't necessarily think that's always a bad thing. I think sometimes these champions do go on incredible streaks and there needs to be a a leveling of the playing field. But I don't know that I want that to be because they were sort of off put by a different host partway through their run. Yeah, my my sort of outside perspective on like the Jeopardy fan community is that even with the host thing having been resolved, things are still more volatile than they used to be. <laughs> I would probably agree. I wasn't necessarily in tune with the online community uh, a couple years ago um, as much as I am now. And I think that one of the reasons that people are having such strong reactions is because we have a bunch of of very divisive champions that have really been dominating 
the the leaderboards and screen time and uh, sort of the the public conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. prior to last season, the list of champions hadn't really changed all that much in you know seven eight years. It was it was Ken Jennings' big run that was so well known and so popular, and he was the Jeopardy guy. Like if you were if you were talking about Jeopardy, you're probably talking about Ken Jennings. Like it was him, it was Julia Collins. Maybe maybe you were talking about Brad Rutter, maybe you were talking about Watson, but like that, and you were talking about whoever was on this week. But there were no big names. Whereas in the last literally last season and this season, we've had five, six just mind-blowingly amazing champions who have been crushing people. And that is creating a lot of very strong reactions uh, in the fan community. Sure. Yeah, I wonder what it is, though. Because some people have pointed out the, like, amount of questions that are left on the board when when you have to go to the, the, the next round. And there's definitely been an increase of that. And that is maybe, like... A mathematical thing that you know leads to more more champions happening and that can involve the hosts but i i i i really am not sure exactly like other than the hosts has something changed you know i yeah that's a great i mean that's a great question and for somebody like uh james holtower who was the massive champion of the previous season he was only with Trebek, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so there's certainly, it certainly was just James Holtower being the massive champion that he was. Um, and so definitely it wasn't the host for him. But then looking at, at this season when we've had three champions, unlike any, unlike most other contestants, that's just the, the percentage there is absolutely wild. Cause you have, mm. um, Matt Amodio, Amy Schneider, and Matea Roach, all with, you know, 30-plus or 20-plus wins under their belt. Yeah, it's interesting. And what does that mean for the the future of the show? I'd like, I wonder, because again, like we were saying pretty early on, um, you know, star contestants mean more viewers. Mm-hmm. So... so I, I would think that maybe the producers are uh, fine with this. <laughs> I just I just wonder about like uh, you know are there going to be attempts to like counteract it at some point down the road or are they gonna lean into it and how's that gonna affect the show? Yeah, I I wonder if so for so for a very long time Jeopardy had the five game limit, which is you couldn't if you won five games you were retired as an undefeated champion, and they would bring in three fresh new players for the next episode, and that um, was that was sort of how Brad Rutter um, played. So he never got to be defeated in regular play, um, but he still I think he still holds the records for most game winnings in Jeopardy in tournament and regular season play, just like cash value. Um, and this is something that you see also in, I'm thinking of sort of the, the UK version of Jeopardy, which is not Jeopardy, but Countdown, which is sort of the, are you familiar with Countdown? I'm aware. It's like 
Jeopardy, but it's just um, anagrams and math puzzles. Um, and it's, in my mind, the the British equivalent of Jeopardy. And they have the eight game limit, which is you can't, if you win eight games in a row, you are retired, undefeated, and you go on to, you know, their version of the Tournament of Champions. Um, and so I wonder if Jeopardy might return to the game limits um, in order to cap the the sort of super champion. But on the other side, like you were saying, more champions means more viewership. And so might the hosts or might the uh, producers say, no, forever, you can play for as long as you want. And maybe we'll have somebody someday who can who will beat Ken's streak. Yeah, I mean, I that, that is like... I, that's been a big part of the I, I feel like the narrative around the streaks for a long time is the idea that like you know the idea of beating the champ and so I feel like especially with Ken hosting like that's got to be you know there's an idea every time there's a new uh, a new contestant who's racking up a lot of wins that like if this gets to that level it's going to be like another big event. <laughs> TV thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I have to imagine that's part of the strategy. Yeah, I. There's a part of me that's glad that nobody's hit Ken's streak yet, and I I appreciate that that still remains like the ceiling for Jeopardy. I mean, nobody's come within thirty games of him. Like he still has a, a head and shoulders lead over any other contestant and you might want to check me on those numbers there um and i and i don't know why that is because i don't necessarily think that he is that much smarter than holtower or schneider or amodio or any of these other you know big game players that we've had recently and i don't necessarily know i mean certainly his strategy isn't better than holtower's like holtower's strategy he was the um the Vegas sports better. And that's where he got all of his, his math and strategy from. Um, so he's sort of the unequivocal, like strategy master of Jeopardy. So Ken's strategy isn't necessarily better than Holtzauer's and his, maybe his speed isn't maybe better than everybody else's. So what was it about Ken that nobody else can come close when you have these contestants who are good, if not better than him at certain aspects of the game? I did do the fact checking, and uh, Amy Schneider has the second longest streak with forty. So yeah, not, not, no one's gotten close. No one's gotten close, not even within within thirty games. So I have to. It leaves me to wonder then, if it's not the contestants, is it the game? Is there something mm. that changed, even a tiny thing that changed in the last decade? That it's almost decade that it's been since Ken's streak that has made it more difficult for contestants to rack up that win because i think i think you'd have a hard time arguing that ken at his peak was head and shoulders better than amy at hers yeah i think first of all the this um that this thing i mentioned earlier about you know how many questions are actually getting to be answered in the limited time slot that that jeopardy has and i think I maybe that time slot's gotten shorter in the past decade. I wouldn't be surprised if if that's true. But also, the you know new hosts creating longer games, more dialogue, maybe having you know getting less of these questions answered. Um, but then also, maybe there's just something about how uh, society and the delivery of information has changed in the past fifteen years, 
where you know the uh, i think the sort of trivia that hmm, i don't actually know if this is because i do think that like people kind of know more things just just like people have Mm -hmm. more information sort of sort of put on them in day-to-day life but um yeah I'm, i'm just not sure if there's something about the the delivery of information that either levels the playing field of jeopardy or makes it harder to go on those streaks it could go either way really and i mean we've been saying you know harder to go more difficult to to get that streak but we have to remember that up until the most recent season the closest Ken had 74 games and up until what was it? 2014. Um, yeah. Nobody had the, the biggest winner was Julia Collins at 20. Yeah. So yeah. Cause Ken, Ken won his games in 2004. So it's been almost, it's been almost 20 years. And then Julia Collins won her 20 games in 2014. And then in the last two seasons, we've had, four or five massive champions. So did whatever they, was Ken just that fluke? And then they've made a change that is now making it easier for people to get significant streaks, but for whatever reason, not easy enough for people to get all the way, you know, up to triple digits. So I, I, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I could sit in the Jeopardy studio and like page through the rule book and, you know, take a look at, what is it that mm-hmm. makes these streaks happen or not happen? Yeah, that is the thing, though, is I feel like the way the show is going is at some point within the next few years, there's got to be someone getting close, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that seems to be the direction that things are trending in. So maybe the maybe what we were saying earlier about the sw- trade off between hosts is like, that maybe there's something more general is leading to more of these streaks happening and you know we've given a few potential explanations for that but then maybe that switch between hosts is sort of stifling them from getting all the, all way. the way yeah that makes a lot of sense um yeah i i hope that that's not it because then that would mean that we could have had this season you know some of those massively long you know uh, a ken beating streak um and it it makes me a little sad that we that we wouldn't have got that we would have gotten that um, had we had a consistent host and we didn't get that because um, I would I would love to see I, as much as I am impressed by Ken and I'm happy that we have that streak up there I would love to see somebody dethrone him. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be the next. If you think about it, like like I don't know Star Wars or anything else that gets rebooted, it's like the next chapter has to be someone comes for for Ken's throne. You know, right? Yeah, that's the that's the next uh, the next book in the series. Book four. Mm-hmm. Come on, someone, someone comes for Ken. Absolutely. The rest is still unwritten. Parker, thank you so much for joining me. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> on this, this wonderful episode of Pulp Friction. Um, is there anything you would like to plug before we sign off? Um, listen, I'm going to become unsufferable, insufferable during the Tournament of Champions. So just watch the Tournament of Champions with me this year when we see uh, sure. Amodio v. Schneider v. Roach. I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be a fun time. So I'm just going to plug the Tournament of Champions. <laughs> sure. What is that? I'm going to watch that and we're going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, they haven't released the official dates of it. We have heard, quote, fall. Uh, so hopefully this fall we get sure. some, uh, some Tournament of Champions. All right. Keep me posted on that for sure. Don't worry. 
And to those of you who have been joining us, thank you for sticking with us. If you like the show, you can support it by subscribing to my Substack, following it on wherever you get your podcasts, um, sharing it with your friends, one of the best things you can do. And yeah, I will see you all next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.